the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Georgia, Massachusetts, North Dakota. The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel.
who is blind like my servant, says the Lord. I've been blind. I've been struggling from the time I was a child to understand the gospel of Jesus. And I was told so many things that were false. I've had to sort all my life through fact and fiction. And finally, turned to the scriptures and said, I'm going to simply read and reread and read until I understand the gospel. And it was a progressive understanding. I'm still blind in many ways. Blind to reality. I've been in the prayer closet this morning from early, just crying out to the Lord, saying, Lord, give me, give me eyes that see and a heart that will obey. Break the darkness. Take the veil from my eyes that I could see reality for what it is. This morning I listened to a brief or read a brief news report. It was about a pastor, well past middle age, mature, who had just left his church, walked away from his pulpit because the church board or vestry had just voted to support Donald Trump in this election. And he was much offended by this, and it's been a growing concern of his. How can I vote for Donald Trump? How can the church support Donald Trump? Well, needless to say, if you ask me, I'll tell you very frankly, as a citizen of the United States, I am going to vote for the person who opposes abortion, opposes a marriage between a man and a man. I'm going to vote for the man who stands against pedophilia. I'm not going to tell you how to vote, but I've been talking with a number of you, and some of you have been having a hard time sleeping. You're so riled up over this election that's coming. Can I tell you, there are issues a great deal more important than who wins this election. Much more important. For who wins or loses this election will have a profound impact on America. But it will not impact you in the way that is most significant. And that is your salvation. Now this pastor has actually resigned his pastorate. The board has accepted his resignation because he says the church must be the conscience of the government. I don't read that in the scriptures. It's not in the scriptures. Can you imagine the Apostle Paul taking the position that he had to be the conscience of of the Roman government? No, that was not his concern. His concern was salvation, and I am going to assure you without knowing, but I'm going to assure you, and I think I'm probably right, that in this man's church in Michigan, there are adulterers, 
There are people who lust after money. There are people in his church who love the world, who go after the entertainment of the world. I can assure you, in his church, as in every other American church, there are gross sinners. If this man believed so strongly that his board was wrong in their position about Donald Trump, how did they ever arrive at that position? How did he allow a church to take a vote on who they're going to support in the election? That boggles my mind. That's a total denial of reality. That's not the church's business. Now, should the church be in the marketplace? Absolutely. Should the church be salt and light? Absolutely. Should the church confront wickedness? Absolutely. But judgment begins in the house of the Lord. And right now, the world laughs at the American church because we're like the world. The American church is like the world. It's full of entertainment. It's full of divorce. It's full of the lust for money and power. I don't understand how this pastor, seeing the spiritual need of his people, could walk away from his sheep because they made a decision he didn't like. If he believes it's sinful, why not bring righteousness to the table? See, I, it doesn't, I, I can't comprehend this. For me, the issue is salvation or hell. Let me read a passage of scripture to you. This shocked me. Now, I knew it. But I'm reading from a, a very literal translation called the Lavender Bible. Dr. Lavender is a very conservative Christian who is an incredible Greek and Hebrew scholar. This is what the translation in the literal is from the book of Romans, the fifth chapter, beginning with verse 18. Accordingly then, as through one man's sin, resulting in a death sentence against all conceivable men. I want you to just stop, take a minute. Understand what's being said here. The Apostle Paul is saying there is a death sentence on every person born into this world. If you're born into this world, and all of you listening have been born into this world, and you were of age, do you understand a death sentence was pronounced against you by the judgment seat of God? And there is a 100% mortality rate for us. I'm going to die if Jesus does not come. Why? Because I was born in sin. And this body of flesh cannot go into the heavens. 
I'm going to have to receive a new spirit body like Jesus received, a real body, but an immortal body. This body is a body of corruption. And frankly, this body for me is wearing out. I have a lot of years on it. I pray, Lord, repair my body that's slowly deteriorating. I had a man come and look at some of the woodwork outside of my house, and it was rotten. And He said, Ray, this needs to be replaced. So he'll replace it for me. Well, our bodies also need healing and replacement and hips and knees. And But the issue is there's a death sentence against you. And if there's not a radical change in your life, that death sentence will be carried out for the first death and for the second death after you go to the judgment seat of Jesus. All authority and power is in his hands. He will be the judge. Now, when he looks at you, he's not going to look at himself. He's going to look at how you received his gift by faith of righteousness. That's real righteousness, not imputed, but imparted, real Some years ago, I listened to a very famous comedian. He was a short, a short Jewish man, but utterly given to darkness, cursing, swearing, drinking, party time, sexually immoral, leading many others astray. And he was on a broadcast where they, the interviewer asked him, do you believe in, in heaven, Sammy? He said, absolutely I believe in heaven. Well, do you believe you're going to go there? And Sammy said, all of us are going to go to a better place when we die. And that was the end of the conversation. This man, Sammy, was not in touch with reality. He had not lived a life of righteousness. He'd not lived a life of, of holiness. And without holiness, the scriptures say, no man will see the Lord. Sammy was a wonderful comedian in the flesh, but a horrible sinner before Almighty God who did not confess Jesus and was never allowing Jesus to come and remake his life. This is what must happen. Let me finish reading this. One man's sin, Adam, resulting in a death sentence against all conceivable men. Now, I'm not going to die because of Adam's sin. I'm going to die if I do. I pray Jesus saves my soul and yours. 
But if we die, it will not be because of Adam's sin. It will be because of our own sin. For all men have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So to face reality is to face the fact that there is a death sentence against us in the flesh and in the world. And until you come to terms with that death sentence, you cannot be saved. I mean, if if I go outside of my door and my next-door neighbor has a swimming pool and he's in that swimming pool and he's swimming laps and I rush over, I dash through the gate, I jump in the water, I put a hold on him and I begin to drag him out of the water. He's going to fight and sputter and curse me Why? Because he's not drowning. But believe me, if that same man was in that pool and he began to be sick and he began to drown and I rushed over and I saved him, he would forever be my best friend. He would love me. And he would say, this is the man who saved my life. If you don't know that there is a death sentence against you, you'll be angry with me because of what I'm saying to you today. There is a death sentence. That's reality. You must find a way to be made righteous and holy in reality or the death sentence will stand against you. And at some point in your life, whether early or late, whether through sickness or old age, your body will finally succumb and you will die. That's the first death. But then you go to judgment, and the question is asked very honestly as the books are opened, Was this man made righteous by faith in Jesus Christ? And by his blood was he washed and made clean? And did he walk in obedience to my commands? If the answer is no, the death sentence will stand and there will be a second death. And it will be a death in the fire of hell. Now, it doesn't matter if you think I'm right or wrong. It doesn't matter if you agree with me or disagree with me. It will not change the fact that the teaching of Scripture is that there is a death sentence against you and you are going to die and be cast into hell if you do not allow the Spirit of God to come and give you a new birth and bring you out of the foolishness of this world and the wickedness and the entertainment and the sinfulness of this world, if you don't allow that to happen by faith in Jesus, you will not survive the second death. You will be cast into that fiery pit. It's a pit not prepared for humans. It's a pit prepared for the devil, for the false prophet, for the beast's power. 
It's a pit of fire prepared for the wicked. Jesus never intended that any of us should go to hell. But many will because we denied reality and never came to terms with the fact that you're going to die. That a death sentence has been pronounced against you. Listen. So also through one man's righteous act, that is Jesus on the cross, resulting in righteousness of life for all conceivable men. In other words, what Jesus did at the cross was to make available to all men and women the opportunity to be transformed into the likeness of Jesus and to walk away from the wickedness of the world, the flesh, and the devil, to be transformed into the likeness of Jesus. But, oh, we're so distracted. We're distracted by our jobs. We're distracted. I mean, a man was supposed to be here this morning at at 10 o'clock. I got a text from him saying, Pastor, I'm sorry, I, I can't come do the the bid on that work you're asking me to do, I've been delayed. Well, then he said, I'll be there at 11.30. Well, before that, he was texting me saying, I'm so sorry, Pastor, I've been delayed again. Then he was to be here by 11.15, 11.30, then 12. Finally, he came. That's how life goes. Life is full of distractions. And if you allow the distractions of your business and the distractions of your family and you allow the distractions of your health to prevent you from dealing with the essential element that you have a sentence of death against you, So you don't search the scriptures. You don't spend time in prayer. You don't spend time waiting before God to see what he wants to say to you about your condition. Can I be very bold? Many of you listening to this broadcast have no clue what your true spiritual condition is before God. Oh, you know your cultural position You know what you've been told. But have you ever come to terms with Jesus himself and the Holy Spirit and ask him to tell you what is your condition before God? There was a very powerful television evangelist. He came to our school, our college, to speak to us. And he stood in front of that several thousand member congregation. And he stood there in silence. He's a he was a silver tongued man. He had a way with words. It was very entertaining. He stood there before us and suddenly tears began to come down his cheeks. And then in brokenness, he said, I did something 
that I should have done a long time ago. He said, I, I went in my prayer closet and I asked Jesus, would you show me my true condition before you, Jesus? Would you show me how you see me? He said, I know how everybody else sees me. They see me as this wonderful preacher of the gospel, silver-tongued, successful, well thought of in every quarter. But how do you see me, Jesus? He said, Jesus finally spoke to me and told me how he sees me. He said to me, you're arrogant and you're proud. And if you don't repent, you can have no part with me. You must humble your heart. It was Zach Poon who said, the the three secrets of the Christian life are one, Humility. Two, humility. Three, humility. This man confessed his pride and his arrogance with tears before us that day, and that message left many of us in tears with him. For we recognized our own arrogance and our own pride and the hardness of our own hearts. I see men rise up, separate, argue, fight, judge out of arrogance. Not recognizing that all men have a sentence of death against them but that Jesus has opened the way for us that we can have life if we choose it and act upon the requirements of heaven. Verse 19, For just as through the disobedience of the one man the many were made sinners, so also by the obedience of the one man the many will be made righteous. But we are not saved in mass. We are not saved by simply saying, I... I believe in you, Jesus. We're not saved by simply saying, Jesus, I accept you as my Savior. Please come into my life. I'm yours. We're not saved by that. Those are all necessary steps. But we have to be born from above. We have to be changed supernaturally. And it's going to take an intense work of dealing with reality, true reality, asking Jesus to show me my true condition before him, a righteous and holy God. Law entered with the result that sin may be multiplied, but when the sin multiplied, the grace superabounded overflowing. So the law of the, of the moral code and the law of Moses were given to the children of Israel that they might see their true condition before God because God wanted to establish them as his people in the earth. 
all but two proved unfaithful and died in the desert. The children were brought into the promised land, but they too soon turned to wickedness and sin. Even as sin reigned in the sphere of death, so also the grace may reign by means of righteousness. If you believe this is imputed righteousness, you are not dealing with reality. You have been deceived. This is real righteousness. This is a transformed life. This is every bondage broken. This is being set free in Jesus Christ. Resulting in life eternal by Jesus Christ our Lord. It's all by faith. But listen. What then shall we say? Continue in sin so that grace may become more and more? Absolutely no. We who died to sin, how shall we live in it? It is required that we die to sin, all sin, every sin. And if you believe that you cannot stop sinning, you don't believe that you can die to that sin, then you don't believe that you can be made righteous. And then you must have a pretend doctrine that Jesus, when he looks at you, doesn't see you but sees himself. And now we have a shell game going on. We have a dishonest game. And Jesus is not going to lie for you. It just doesn't work that way. Are you ignorant? Are you uneducated? That as many as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Really? We were buried together with him by means of the baptism into the death, that just as Christ was raised out from among the dead men by the glory of the Father, so also we may walk around in newness of life. And that Greek word for newness means never existed before, something brand new in your life. For if we've become united in the similarity of his death, Requires dying. Now, you're going to either die here and be crucified with Christ Jesus and leave your sin, or you're going to die at the second great judgment, the second death, and you will die that second time and be cast into the fiery pit. You see, we will die. But do we die into the resurrection of Jesus Christ or do we die into the pit of hell? Those are the only two choices if you want to deal with real reality. But these distractions come and they say, oh, don't worry, be happy, you're okay. Row, row, row your boat gently down the stream, merrily, 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 life is but a dream. No, life is a dream that ends in the pit of fire. So what are you going to do with this? I challenge you to pray that prayer. Lord, would you show me who I really am before you? Would you show me how I stand before you? Would you reveal my heart 
in all of its fullness that I might know how I stand with you, Jesus. And then be ready because he will do that for you. It may be quite shocking. If you have lived in that dream world and that illusion that you're fine, you're on your way to heaven, Jesus saying, no, come. Enter into my death. That's not just taking a communion service. That's allowing all of the distractions to be removed from my heart and from my life. That my main focus would be on Jesus. I tell you today, Jesus is everything to me. It was interesting to me yesterday after the broadcast, I felt the call of the Spirit to go to a coffee house over in Manassas. I haven't been there for a very long time. I didn't even know if they were open, but the Lord was saying, go. And so I just naturally took my Bible with me and I got a coffee and I sat down at one of the tables and I began to read the scriptures. I was reading Matthew, the 20th chapter, where it talks about the need to be employed in the work of the gospel. Regardless of what I, what job I have, I am called to be employed first and foremost most in the work of the gospel. So I was sitting there just enjoying the presence of the Lord, enjoying the reading, saying, Lord, why am I at this coffee house? And especially, why am I here by myself? When suddenly a young woman walked up to my table and she said, are you reading the Bible? I said, yes. I love to read the Bible. A large smile broke out on her face and she said to me, I'm a Christian too. I said, good. What's Jesus saying to you? He's saying, read my word and tell others about about him. She said, I'm a high school senior. I don't know what I'm going to do next year. Would you be willing to pray with me? I said, absolutely, sit down. She sat down at my table. She said, my name is Lily. I said, what a beautiful name. She said, can I pray? I said, yes, Lily, please pray, and then I'll pray with you. She prayed a very simple prayer. Jesus, please show me what you want me to do next year. And please show me if you want me to go to college. But whatever I do, Jesus, would you please help me to find people who need you? And would you show me how to love them? And how to talk to them about Jesus? By this time, I was so joyous. So I prayed. I prayed a blessing for Lily. I prayed that the Lord would quicken her and direct her steps. I prayed that she would find people to bring to Jesus. As I finished praying for Lily, she said, All I want to do is bring people to Jesus. 
I said, I'll continue to pray for you, Lily, that you will have a great harvest at the end of the world. This wonderful young woman has not been so distracted yet that she's forgotten what her work is in the world. She's facing reality squarely. She wants her life to be directed by Jesus. And she wants to lead people to leave their sin and be made righteous in Jesus. I prayed that for her. And then she said, I need to run. And so she left. I sat there for a little while longer. I finished my coffee. I said, Lord, is that all? Yes. So I came home and got in the prayer closet again. That was a divine appointment to encourage and to pray for this young woman because she was seeing reality for what it is. And her heart was utterly given to Jesus. It made my day. I was so joyful for the rest of the day. I see my time is getting away. There's another passage of scripture that I want to read for you. Some years back, I was, I was so discouraged. I was so despondent. I said, Jesus, are you, are you with me? It feels like you've left me. I feel distance between us. I went literally to my closet. And I got down on my face on the carpet in that closet. It was a walk-in closet. And I began to cry out to Jesus. And he spoke to me. I don't know if it was audible or if it was in my, my head or my spirit, but it sounded audible. And this is what he said. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. And my heart soared. That was July 25, 2006. My heart just soared upward. I was so greatly encouraged because the Lord promised he would not leave me. Verse 6, so we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you? Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Those of you who are fearful today, I want to say please, Turn your eyes to Jesus and get your eyes off the election. The election is not that important in the long haul. 
what is most important is where you stand with Jesus Christ. And are you about his business or are you about your business? Are you being self-centered and doing what you think you need to do to take care of your business or are you taking care of God's business? He promised, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Deuteronomy 31.6, Hebrews 13, verse 5. I want to tell you today, Jesus will not come and reign in the life of a person who is walking in sin before him. But if we will honestly confess that sin before him, and if we will turn from it, and if we will allow the Holy Spirit to make us into new creatures, we will fellowship with Jesus. Verse 13 of Galatians 5, you, my brothers, my sisters, were called to be free. That is, called to be free of sin. But do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. In other words, you were called to be free, so don't go back to your sin. Rather, serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in a single... A single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. I've almost been destroyed a number of times by people just biting me, judging me, cursing me. He says, so I say, live by the Spirit. And you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. It's the desire of the sinful nature to have pride and arrogance and ascendancy over another brother or sister. We're called to humble our hearts. Humility, humility, humility. A brother said to me as I spoke with him yesterday, Wow, Pastor, I've been getting a lot of humble pie. I'm getting so much humble pie, I'm starting to enjoy the taste of it because it doesn't turn my stomach bitter anymore. I said, brother, you're on to something. Humble pie is an acquired taste. And we are called to enjoy it. The sinful nature desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. The sinful nature hates humility. It hates self-sacrifice. It hates putting a brother or sister ahead of me. It wants to be right. It wants to cut off. It wants to separate. They're in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. But if you're led by the Spirit, you are not under law. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. And now he gives us a hit list in Galatians, the fifth chapter, of what sin is. 
sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, doing a good thing even to a bad extent, overdoing it, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, dissensions, not making peace, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there's no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature. That's what I'm addressing today, dealing with the reality of our true condition before God and not smoothing it over with some false teaching of imputed righteousness. Dealing with reality. Since we live by the Spirit, let's keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Brothers, if someone is caught in sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. How many times I've done that? How many times... A brother or sister has confronted me and said, Pastor, what you're saying is not right. What you're doing is not right. Let's talk about it. Let's pray about it. But watch yourself, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Each one should test his own actions. Then he can take pride in himself without comparing himself to somebody else. Each one should carry his own load. In other words, we're responsible before God for our own actions. You're not going to be judged by Pastor Ray. You're not going to be judged by the Apostle Paul. Jesus will be your judge. And he is going to judge you based on whether or not you allowed yourself to be born from above and you were crucified with Christ and you left your sin, your bitterness, your anger, your hostility, your lust, your pride, your anger, your pride, your anger, I find those two sins are the sins of men today. Angry and proud. Judgmental. Putting up walls and barriers. Anyone who receives instruction in the word must share all good things with his instructor. I usually just pass that by, but... 
since it's the end of the month and we're a long way from being able to pay for the broadcast today, I have to come back and say, look, I need your help. And if Jesus is moving in your heart, if you have received instruction from me, then you're to share all good things with me. One family sent me this last week a wonderful dessert in the mail to say thank you. Oh, it was awesome. They must have read Galatians 6, 6. But then listen, do not be deceived. In other words, deal with reality. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature from that nature will reap destruction. That's what I've been saying this whole broadcast. That sums it up. The one who sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let's not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. I boast before you today in only one thing. I boast in the cross of Jesus Christ where I have been crucified with him. And by his grace, I left my sin. Do I still make mistakes? Yes. Yes. But I don't intentionally rebel against Jesus anymore. I don't intentionally hurt a brother or sister anymore. I've laid that pride down. I'm asking you to follow and copy what I'm doing. Seeking the face of Jesus. Dealing with reality instead of with make-believe. Now, some of you know what I'm talking about. You're shacked up with somebody you're not married to. You're committing fornication. You're deep into pornography. You're lusting after money. You're filled with anger. You're filled with bitterness. Only Jesus can rescue you, but it requires crucifixion. You're going to have to go to the cross with Jesus. Confess, turn aside from it, and stand by faith for that entire change in your life, and Jesus will grant it to you. Let's pray. Lord, I know you will never forsake one of us. You will never turn us away when we come humbly before you, seeking your face to be crucified with you. Lord, thank you. I have no need to be afraid because you have everything in your hands. I cry out to you. I cry out about this election. But Lord, even more, I cry out about this the church, because judgment begins in the house of the Lord. Lord, please come. Minister right now to every person who is convicted and needs to come before you. Lord, deal with our heart now. In the name of Jesus. Amen. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenlee from the National Prayer Chapel. 
if the Holy Spirit is moving you to give, I need to hear from you. And I thank you, Mike. I thank you and the others who have contributed. Go to nationalprayerchapel.com and you can give by going to the upper right-hand corner and clicking on Donate. I also ask you, would you subscribe to our YouTube channel if that's where you're listening so that Google will give us even a larger presence based on the number of people who subscribe to our channel. And hit the like button if you liked it. And would you also write to me if you don't have the internet, you're listening on the radio, would you write to me at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Now, I know this is radio, and you're very distracted and very busy, and some of you pop in for five minutes, and then you're gone, or ten minutes, and then you're gone. Get your priorities. Listen to the whole broadcast. If not now, Go back to it. It'll be on our webpage tonight, nationalprayerchapel.com. I'm praying for each one of you. I love you. I want to meet you soon. God bless you. I'll talk to you soon.